with my, uh, with my family in a kinship relationship? Or could it be somebody who is Muslim and who is not Muslim? The near neighbor being the Muslim and the far neighbor being the non-Muslim. Or could it be somebody who is at a physical distance? And most of the Holomites say that it is to do with physical distance. So neighborhood usually means 40 houses in any direction. This is how the ulama have traditionally explained it. Sufyan al-Thawri used to point in four different directions when he was asked, who is the neighbor? And he would say, 40 this way, and 40 this way, and 40 this way, and 40 this way. In other words, 40 houses, maybe to the end of your street, maybe a little bit of the next street, that is the person who is your neighbor, your job. Somebody who you know, is uh, going to be concerned if you're a bad neighbor. If you're making a mess, if you're making a noise, if you park inconsiderately, if you don't make your house look nice but everybody else is paying attention to the outward appearance of their property, uh, those are the people uh, who have that right over you, and those are the people who, who, you are required, who you are required to honor. But to say that it's a non-Muslim neighbor is also important, and the ulama have accepted this as well. It doesn't just refer to Muslims. A neighbor is whoever happens to be within those within that radius of 40 houses in any direction. And so in a famous hadith, the Holy Prophet وسلم, says, الجيران ثلاثة There are three neighbors. جار له حق واحد وجار له حقان وجار له ثلاثة حقوق ذلك الجار المسلم الرحم There are three kinds of neighbors. The neighbor who has one right over you. And the neighbor who has two rights over you, and the neighbor who has three rights over you, who is the neighbor, who is a Muslim, who is your relative. In other words, that's a particularly important kind of person to stay on the right side of, to honor, not to annoy with whatever it is that you, you might be doing that annoys people, because his family, and so is sacrosanct. Because he's Muslim, and so is in your spiritual family, but also because he's a neighbor. But the one who is, has a single right the, the ulama, as they comment on this hadith, says, ذَلِكَ words, Somebody who doesn't maybe believe in any kind of proper religion, still, he has this right. Just because you're not a Muslim doesn't mean that you can uh, leave your rubbish on your front lawn, or that you can park inconsiderately, or play your tajweed tapes really loudly at one o'clock in the morning during Ramadan. No, he also has a haq. And the Holy Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, makes this explicit. And so many beautiful hadiths that remind us of how he wanted people in Medina, after his hijra, to be beautiful neighbors one to another. So once, uh, he once passed somebody who had slaughtered a sheep. And he said, have you given some of it to your Jewish neighbor? Just because he's Jewish doesn't mean that he's not a neighbor. Just because he's Jewish doesn't mean that he doesn't have this haq. Despite the issues that have happened between the different communities in Al-Madina and Munawwara, still, the rights of the neighbor are sacrosanct. And this is in the, 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 the sound hadith of the Chosen One, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He's not from your physical family, he's not from your spiritual family, but he's still a neighbor and therefore he has these rights. In another beautiful hadith, and sometimes in Muslim countries you'll even see it inscribed on staircases and in blocks of flats because it's so important. Gabriel kept on enjoining me, enjoining upon me the rights of neighbors until I thought that he would give 
neighbors the rights, uh, some share in one's inheritance. In other words, after one dies, because of the importance of the neighbor, you might even get a share in your inheritance. That doesn't become part of the Sharia, but it's an indication. The Holy Prophet thought, maybe this is so important, that they're almost like family. And in cases, and these are difficult cases, and we all have them in our lives, difficult neighbors, people who might outwardly seem to be respectable, but actually have all kinds of ugly and stupid habits, what do we do about that? Well, first of all, we know that it's a major sin to annoy one's neighbor. أول خصماني يوم القيامة جاران. The first two people to be arguing against each other on the day of judgment will be two neighbors. This is something elemental. Even with a family member, you can move away. You can change your email address, but with a neighbor, it's always there. You always see him mowing his lawn, or parking his car, or claiming your mail, or whatever it is. You can't get away from the neighbor unless you physically sell your house and, and move away. So the first two people to be arguing on the Day of Judgment will be two neighbors. This is something that's really important in our religion, and really important to the Rasul So he was once told, And it's alarming. He was told about a certain woman in Medina who used to fast all day, and pray all night, but he used to annoy her neighbors, and he said, she is in the fire. It might seem drastic. She's saying so many prayers and fasting so much more than we could ever imagine, but still, none of that is of any use. Why? Just because she's annoying her neighbors? Especially because she's annoying her neighbors. Why? Because the prayer and the fast are supposed to have an effect. Their tasdiq, their realization, the proof that you've really been engaged with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your worship, is how you behave afterwards. If you come up out of the masjid and immediately go back to some bad habit or other, well, what have you been doing in the masjid? How much of the munajat, the beautiful intimate communication with your Lord, has actually been in your heart? Or have you just gone in to impress somebody, or to impress yourself, or because it's time to pray? How much of that beautiful opportunity that your Lord has given you to be close to Him? In this wonderful moment of horror of closeness, which is the sanctity itself, how much of that have you actually put to good use? What a lost opportunity if at the end of the prayer you're just as bad as you were at the beginning. Instead of going up a stairway, you're just walking on the flat. Or you go up and you go down again. What a foolish way to spend one's life. Perhaps thousands and thousands of times we say Allahu Akbar. How many times do we mean it when we say Allahu Akbar? Allah really is greater than all of my worldly concerns. He is greater than my sense of reputation and my bank balance and all of the things that I might be worried about and all, what kind of car I'm parking outside my house, and all the things that usually occupy our thoughts. And these are the things which human beings are distracted in their competition. This is the Al-Hakamu Takathur, Maqabir, the unfortunate lot of Bani Adam, is that we're distracted by rivalry in mutual increase until we visit the graves. This is a miserable, miserable use of this wonderful, extraordinary, one-off opportunity that we have while we draw breath in this amazing dunya, to use our lives for something that is beyond our lives and above our lives and that gives everything in our lives meaning. So the one who is in the mosque and he prays, but afterwards he is bad-mouthing somebody or criticizing somebody or even doing it to his neighbors, the Holy Prophet says, what is the meaning of that person's prayer? 
The prayer forbids us from ugly and reprehensible actions. But if it doesn't, then it isn't really a prayer. The worth of these practices is to be seen in the kind of human beings they create. And nothing is more distressing than the person who prays and fasts a lot, and yet their akhlaq and their adab are mediocre or even ugly. And this is why the Holy Prophet was so angry with that woman. Angry with a woman who just was rude, slandered, gossiped about her neighbors, and she was out of luck in the Yom Al-Qiyamah. And this should be a warning to all of us. So what we have to do when we think about the rights of our neighbors is not only not to annoy them, but to put up with their annoyance. And this is harder. Hmm? Imam al-Hassan al-Basri, one of the great imams of the Salaf, used to say, Laysa husnul jiwari kaful aidi, walakinna husnul jiwari ihtimalul adha. Being a good neighbor doesn't just mean that you don't annoy your neighbor, it means you put up with their annoyance. And that's the harder thing. What if the neighbor really is a nuisance? What if he's a pain? What if he's really pushing the boundaries? What if he mows the lawn at five o'clock in the morning when you're trying to sleep? What if he parks his car in a way that obstructs your drive? What if, what if, so many things that neighbors can do, and how do you escape? What do you do in that situation? What do you do? Well, Hassan al-Basri is saying, being a good neighbor means to put up with their rubbish. But do you do it forever? At which point do you have, do you have to complain? Nowadays you might write to the council, or even tell the police if there's something strange going on in the small hours, there are ways in which you can do it, but it's a major step, perhaps to break the trust and the relationship with your own neighbor forever, because they'll never forget that you snitched on them, that you reported them. What do you do? Well, again, there's guidance in the Sunnah of the Chosen One, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, which is fascinating. Of course, the Holy Prophet is aware of this problem. What do you do with a really troublesome neighbor? And there's an extraordinary story in which somebody once comes he said, I've been patient. I was patient and I was patient, but this neighbor is unbearable. And at last, the Holy Prophet says, Go to your house. Take all of your stuff out of the house and put it in the street. And you can imagine that. All of your goods and furniture and the sofa are in the street outside your house. Now, of course, when this happened, Locals couldn't help but notice this, and they started to talk. And they started to talk about that man who'd been a nuisance. And he'd been a nuisance not just to one neighbor, but to everybody. And eventually, the person who had done this realized this was such a flagrant situation that he went and apologized to the person who had always been annoying. Now, why did the Holy Prophet do it like that? Why not just say, go to him and, and bite his head off? Tell him he's being outrageous. He's playing his music in the small hours. He's banging his front door. Why not just... Tell him that. No, because that could break the relationship. Instead, the scholars say that the wisdom of this advice from the Holy Prophet in that extraordinary illuminated city was that because it was everybody who was pointing out that this thing had happened, the relationship between the man and the neighborhood wronged him was not broken. Everybody was talking about it, so that relationship with the neighborhood was not destroyed. A very subtle thing, Latifa, but very beautiful. And this is important. When we actually think about what we're going to do about that annoying neighbor, we can't just bang on their door or bang on the wall. We have to think of a way of doing it that will preserve that good neighborly relation. 
and sometimes there's issues with boundaries. There's so many beautiful hadith which indicate how important this was to the chosen one, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So for instance, he says in a, in a hadith, مَنْ كَانَ لَهُ حَائِطٌ أَوْ شَرِيكٌ فَلَا يَبِعْ دَارَهُ حَتَّى يَعْرِضَهَا عَلَى جَارِهِ Whoever has a shared wall, you might call it a party wall nowadays, or whoever has some kind of thing that he shares with his neighbour, let him not sell his house until he offers it for sale first to his neighbour. In other words, the neighbour has the right of first refusal. And this is actually a principle in Sharia, in, in our akhlaq. If you're selling a property, properly speaking, you should contact the neighbours first, because it's a neighbourly thing to do, and ask them if they would like to buy it. Or maybe somebody they know who wants to live next to them, maybe their mother, who knows, would like to buy it. And this is, again, part of the beautiful adab of Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa When we come to sell houses, inshallah, we're blessed with, with owning houses, we will remember this when we come to sell. It's not something that you do in a kind of sneaky way in order to deceive the neighbours, not letting them know until the last moment that you're moving out, but just painting the thing to make it look good at the last moment and then leaving, and who knows who uh, your neighbours will be neighbours to next. No, you have to involve them in the process. And this is an important principle. And even building, you look at the hadith, that the neighbour even has the right to do building to his house if it's adjacent to your property, uh, even if it goes over your boundaries and it's necessary for what he wants to do. That's not a sharia rule, but that's an adab of Islam. In the old days in Medina, they used to build houses out of mud bricks, and they would have uh, logs which would hold up the roof, and the roof would be made of palm leaves and then covered in mud. Very simple. But the logs would sometimes stretch out on either side of the building. What if that stretches out over your neighbor's garden? He does have the right to go to the Qadi and say, uh, I don't like this. But it's from Husn al-Akhlaq and Husn al-Jiwar that you put up with that, just so that the neighbor can have the, the, the extension or the building that, that he or she wants. So these are all very important principles and something that are universal. We tend to think of the Sunnah as something that appeared in a very distant and different time and place. And we think, oh, everything's different now. Somebody talks about the Sunnah and we say, oh, we can't really do that now. On the contrary, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala going to adorn the life of his final prophet with something that isn't for all time? There isn't to be another prophet. The sunnah is something that should govern our lives and to which we bend our necks until Yom Al-Qiyamah. And what beautiful people we will be if we actually live by these principles. Can you imagine how people would want to live next to Muslims if Muslims had this reputation for being lovers of their neighbours, for being considerate neighbours, for respecting them and their boundaries and their families, how uh, loved a community we would be simply by following the Sunnah of the Chosen One, Sallallahu This is an important reminder, because in our town of Cambridge, sometimes we live very close together. It's Mawson Road here, houses are squeezed together, they were built for people working on the railways a hundred years ago who had very little money. You can hear what the neighbours are saying, you can hear them if they're playing their computer games late at night. You can hear them when they come home from the pub late at night. And when we come out of the masjid late at night sometimes, or Fajr time, sometimes we can cause disturbances. This isn't just some secular principle that we don't want to annoy them in case they'll become fed up with us. This is something that we do however they behave. This is something that is part of the beautiful adab of the chosen one, sallallahu alayhi wa So let's adorn ourselves with the sunnah. Let's make the sunnah like a crown that we wear, that sparkles, that makes us luminous and beautiful and loved people. 
because there is no good in our lives unless it conforms to the sunnah of the chosen one and there is no evil that can come to us if we're protected by following the footsteps of the Mustafa Ali and leaving aside the rubbish that we prefer to do so may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us this tawfiq and make us good neighbors الحمد لله رب العالمين ولي المتقين نكال الظالمين أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله الملك الحق المبين محمد رسول الله صادق الوعد الأمين أوصيكم ونفسي بتقوى الله فإنه خير الزاد وإياكم محتثات الأمور فكل محتثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار واعلموا أن الله قد أمركم بأمر عظيم أمركم بالصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين فقال جل ثناؤه إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد وبارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد اللهم إنا نسألك رضاك والجنة ونعوذ بك من سخطك والنار يا عالم السر منا لا تهتك الستر عنا وعافنا وعفو عنا وكلنا حيث كنا يا ذا الجلال والإكرام أمتنا على دين الإسلام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام أمتنا على دين الإسلام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام أمتنا على دين الإسلام ربنا لا تزيق قلوبنا بعد إفاديتنا وحبلنا من لدنك رحمة إنك أنت الوحام ووفق اللهم ولاة أمور المسلمين إلى العمل بكتاب الله وصنة خاتم الأنبياء والمرسلين عباد الله رحمكم الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعزكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله العظيم يذكركم وادعوه يستجيب لكم ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقيم الصلاة